Welcome, Capital Raisers. Today, we get to hang out with Kenny Wolf, who has evolved into four asset classes and has done 8,000 multifamily units of syndications. Shout out to Invest Next, my investor portal of choice, and the Family Office Club. Get it for $2,000 off by mentioning the Capital Raisers show at familyoffices.com or feel free to pay full price and hang out with other Capital Raisers every Thursday at 11 o'clock a.m. PST by registering at capitalraisingmeetup.com. With that, it's Capital Razor Show episode 293, and it starts now. Rock and roll, I got Kenny Wolf on the Capital Razor Show. Welcome, my friend. How you doing, brother? Good. How are you? Excellent. Capital Razor Show season three brought to you by our friends at Pitch Decks. Man, really excited to dive into a bunch of stuff. So you do development, multifamily syndications. You're getting ready to launch a fund. You've done multiple funds. We've got a lot to talk about. Then. Yeah, let's do it. Welcome to the show. So tell us a little bit about your background, man. How'd you get into syndications and lending and funds and everything else? Sure. Yeah. So I started in 2010, so 13 years ago. Jumped right from doing oil and gas. I was an accountant in oil and gas, CFO at a pretty young age, but then decided just to do a big career change and jumped into syndicating multifamily properties. So I've actually never owned a single family rental. I jumped right into syndication and I guess the rest is history, but now we've done over 8,000 units, raised over $200 million from investors and it keeps on growing. So currently we have 675 million of assets under management as well. So. Dang, <laughs> sounds like you've been busy. So you did all this in 13 years? Yeah, I've been uh, head down and working and I'm fortunate that I enjoy what I, what I do. So I don't consider it work, but it is a lot of work to be a full-time syndicator. So don't let them fool you. <laughs> For sure. Okay. So tell me about this jump. I want to go back in history. You never did a single family residence, I should say, investment. You jumped right into syndications or what was the first thing that you jumped into? Yeah. So actually we were passive twice to kind of learn the ropes. One was a big fixer upper and one was stabilized Spani deal. It really was just to build the team, to understand what contractors, what management companies, insurance brokers, mortgage brokers, there's a huge, it's a very team intensive deal to do a large commercial investment. So really it was learning that, that business model. And then third deal, I syndicated it, brought 13 other investors together by 76 units here in Dallas, Fort Worth, where we're based out of. Would you recommend for the aspiring multifamily investor to jump right into syndications or I don't know that it's totally common to, I think there's a book called Skip the Flip where it talks about going right into syndications. Is that a feasible route for a lot of people or not? It can be. You need to have 50K to play. That's what I say. But to get really get going, because on your first syndication, people are going to ask you how much money you have in the game, how much skin you have in the game. If you don't have Maybe, and it's a, I mean, there's no hard and fast rule, but 20, 50K sounds way better than 25. That's going to be more of a, probably a legit number to get going. So I wouldn't jump straight into syndication. I think going the passive route to build the team, to get the experience, ask a lot of questions, it's a much better way to go, to go passive. And then once you're ready to start syndicating, because you got to build that team first. Another thing, like our site, that Fannie Mae deal, they counted that as my experience for Fannie Mae. So my first syndication deal, I was able to get a non-recourse loan on my first syndication deal. So if you can, there's ways you can plan out ahead of time on your passives that really kind of can set you up 
to syndicate your first deal successfully. So tell me about that. When you are passive, what do you learn? Because a lot of people talk about, hey, before I syndicate or before I get into this game as a general partner, let's kind of lift the curtains back and see how this thing rolls, right. how it's done. What kind of stuff can you expect to learn or what did you learn by passively investing first? Sure. So before, but for both of them, before I like handed over the check, and I was 28 years old when I did my first one. So my hand was shaking at that $100,000 investment. That was a lot of our, a lot of our money at the time. But anyways, before I hand over the check, I said, like, this is my investment and my education. So I want to learn a lot. I'm going to ask a lot of questions. If, if Whenever I can come to the property, if you're going there, like, let me know. I'll be there. I was pretty active. It can be as active or passive as you want, I guess. But I definitely digested all the monthly financials. And again, I told them, like, I wanted to be pretty active. Like, if you need help, let me know. Whenever you're on site, I want to be there just to shout at you to learn this business. And both of them agreed to that. So that was something that I really wanted out of those first two passive investments. Do you think that's common? A lot of people that are starting, I don't know that they would go and visit the property or expect to participate in any active decisions, but you were able to at least kind of tag along at a higher level than most people. For somebody that's trying to start, do you think that this is something that a lot of syndicators would allow or is it not so I, th common? I think so we do it because someone did it for me or something yeah. somebody helped me lift me up and, I'm, and we do it i believe i'm paying it forward so so we do that for ours there's and a lot of folks like once they see like what all is entailed they don't want to be a syndicator that's what i've seen mostly but it's good to know that too like you have to figure out what you don't want to do first and then you can narrow down what you do want to do but knowing and knowing that you don't want to be a syndicator or you do is super important. So to shadow someone like that, I think you'd find if you ask the right syndicators, and I bet there's more than, than, we, than you think that would say yes, that you would see some folks that would want to give back that way. So I was speaking to an individual just yesterday, and he's part of one of these kind of closed door investment groups. And he's wanting, he's got access to all these limited partners but they're forcing him to not take any fees as a general partner. And he's trying to get into that team building phase of becoming a general partner or co-GP within a deal. Can you remember what it was like building that first team when you did your first syndication? You said it was your third deal. How did you put that together? And then as you answer that, I'll probably go into what have you learned about team building since? Well, let's talk about the loan first. So you have to have the experience and net worth to cover to get a Fannie Mae loan or really any loan, but you know, that's a big deal. So experience for sure for Fannie Mae. So they counted my investment and experience on the, my second passive deal, which is the Fannie Mae loan that was performing at the time as my experience. So I filled the role of the experience with Fannie Mae. The net worth at the time, I needed another guarantor to help me out. So I had one of those folks. They got part of the GP as we were moving forward. I actually, I raised the money out. Back then, you could raise 825K and buy 76 units. It's probably maybe a million two now or whatever it is, but it's a little higher now. But I went out and raised the money on that side. So that was our kind of our GP team. And then on the, like the operations, it was really working through those two passive deals to learn who the mortgage broker we wanted to deal with, the insurance broker, the management company. We tried them out on these other passive deals. I like one more than the other. So we took them and used them on our first syndication deal. So really kind of by trial, by error, let someone else take the risk <laughs> as a passive to try teammates, you know, future teammates out. And then, so what did you, did you have a pretty good network of people or what was the capital raising on that? 
like on that first deal? I still had a W-2 job, still working oil and gas. I would actually take copies of my passive checks around with me in my briefcase. And anytime people wanted to talk about real estate, I'd be able to pull those out and like, look, this is a real checks I get quarterly for my investment. I'm completely passive. This is what I want to do. And then kind of do the pitch that way or tell them this is what we want to do and see if they're interested or not. If you're not interested, you, you move on, you know, a big deal, but you do need to build up that Rolodex. And the other way is too, is just networking and networking in specifically real estate minded groups. I learned that trying to raise money from oil and gas people, that was their business. They already knew me. They were sold on me. I had to sell them on apartments, which that was something else. And then real estate and how it worked, it was just very different for them. But so if you can, it'd be much, it's much easier to go to groups that are already real estate minded. So there's a million networking real estate events, I'm sure in, in your town and everybody's town across the U.S. by this point. Cool. <laughs> All right. Let's talk a little bit about the scaling and how the business model has evolved over time. I know that you do more things than just multifamily, but for the purpose of this, let's just talk about what have you seen in the last 13 years in the multifamily space as you've evolved in your business? Are you doing the same thing that you did in the beginning? Has it changed? How does that look? I would just say we've, we've kept on expanding. And so now we're doing four things. Steve Jobs says a company could do five things and still be great at them. So we're going to stick to four. So initially we came out of just buying existing multifamily, B and C class. And that's been our main line of business for a while. And then we were getting feedback from our investors. They still wanted commercial investments, but they wanted different types of returns, different tax benefits. And so what we did was about seven years ago, added a triple net fund. So now we're on fund six of that, but basically it's all high credit folks, high credit tenants. So we have CVS, Walgreens, Advanced Auto Parts, those kind of tenants with all corporate guarantees. Those are great for investors that want stable monthly cash flow coming in. So we had some folks that wanted that. And then opposite of that is development of stable monthly cash flow, at least initially. So that's big appreciation. So some of our investors wanted like faster appreciation, a big cash out refi, and then cash flow. So we, we created both. So we, now we do development, existing multifamily, kind of somewhere in between cash flow and appreciation. And then the triple net's really great at kind of a stable income. And then we've done hard money loans in the past. And so those are, we'll continue to do those, but those are, it's a more safe way to invest because you're a lot lower leverage. You are the bank. You don't have to pay UBIT if you're an IRA investor. So that speaks to another investor group of ours. In what case would you not have to pay UBIT? The only time you pay UBIT is if you use leverage in your investment. With and an so, IRA, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so if you're an IRA investor and you invest in one of our multifamily deals, development or triple net, we use leverage, you're going to get hit with UBIT. But like if you do a hard money loan, you are the bank. There is no leverage. So you won't pay the UBIT if you're a lender. Okay, gotcha. You're loaning dollars out for hard money, you know. All right. So the multifamily that you've been doing over the years, have they been around the same unit size? Tell me about the hold period. Has that changed over time? Has it been the same? Yeah. I mean, we're typically a longer term hold, like five, seven years. And just because how we designed the structure of our deals, it's kind of beneficial that way for everybody. So we've hold some as few as like, I think 13 months is our longest, but we had doubled the money. So it was time to time to sell. That doesn't happen for all of our deals. So no one hold me to that, but we still own the first indication deal we did. We still own that 76 unit deal today. We've refinanced it twice. Although I think we're now looking to possibly sell that maybe this year. We'll see. We're getting some BOVs right now. So we, we're not opposed to holding it longer, but it depends on 
the asset quality, how much CapEx we're going to have to re-inject into it, how much we can pull out of the deal, those kind of things. So we take that into consideration after we do our initial business plan. Does any of your business model, do you do any of your business in such a way so that you keep some of these assets forever? I would love to. If we have a, like on this deal we've, we've held for the long, our first syndication, we have over 580% return back to investors. So they already have their money back plus a whole bunch of money. So why would you sell it? Well, it, you look at your loan. Sometimes it's just time to exit and take the chips off the table. And investors, investors eventually want to see their money back and have that big pop. So you got to kind of balance all that out. Yeah, on the capital raising side, as you've been building your database, you're getting people that have different needs. So you've gone into a couple of different spaces that have different risk profiles and return structures and whatnot. How has this process been on building your capital raising database and, and growing your network to expand to the point where you have 8,000 units? Honestly, I think it's really helped because we have folks that really pair a couple together. So like we get a lot of depreciation off multifamily, maybe less so on our triple net funds. So if you can pair one or, or those two together, you can get a really nice cash flow from triple net monthly cash flow, but the depreciation off your multifamily, which is more operations heavy, and we do quarterly distributions on that because it's we got to go chase rent and fix toilets. That depreciation from multifamily can offset your triple net monthly cash flow. So there's ways to like actually pair to a couple of our offerings together to really be tax efficient. So we've seen a lot of folks use that as a tool. And I think people just like options too and have a one-stop shop of where to go to place their money. So when you were in oil and gas, was that just you as a W-2 or were you investing in oil and gas as well? I was a W-2. I was also main junior partner in that deal. So I had some ownership and some overrides and things like that. And then I've actually passively invested in oil and gas the past couple of years, well, 15, 20 years now. So I know that business as well. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about is what have you learned about funds? Are you still using the same syndication attorneys? What have you picked up on your journey in regards to launching funds? We've been using Gene Trowbridge for the longest time. He's a great PPM SEC attorney. He does a great job. So we've been using him a long time. It's a lot easier to, once you do your first PPM, it's a lot easier to rinse and repeat with the same lawyer because they know basically your, your structure that you want to do. So if you keep trading or going to different PPMs, guys, to save a couple grand is probably not worth it because you're going to have to spend hours on going through that PPM every single time to make sure every sentence is one of so I highly recommend finding one you like. It doesn't have to be Gene, but it, there's a lot of good ones out there. But make sure you, it's going to be easier for syndicators to use, to rinse and repeat with the SEC attorney. Okay, so at what point in your journey did you start lending money to people? And how has it escalated into a new debt fund that you're launching? I just did the math of the day. We, so we had put out about $9 million in loans to folks over the past four or five years. It was always just kind of, it wasn't a huge business driver for us, but we had folks approach us for some single family flips. We did a lending on a boutique hotel in Dallas, a land development deal. So we were pretty, pretty diverse in what we would look at, but we like the business model. Again, it, it's a lot safer place to be. You're making the spread of what you are going to pay your investors and, and the points and the interest rate that you make that spread. And so it's pretty easy math, a lot less risk. We've been for a while now, and it's time to kind of take it to the next level. 
And I think there's a lot of IRA folks out there today that would could use something or they can invest and make about 8% a year, but not have to pay UBIT. And then there's also a lot of folks that are just a little bit nervous today, you know, so it's a way for them to basically double what they're making in their savings account, but still have a lot of security behind what they're investing in. So with this economic calamity where the lending rates have gone out of control, have you seen a lot of investors within your database pullback or are they still investing? Oh, it's been super slow. It's, it seems like it was dead from like October of 2022 all the way through maybe started picking up a little bit in May of 2023. But now we're starting to see a lot of new investor calls and, and all that. And I don't know what, what people are seeing now, but elsewhere, but we were starting to see new investors come kind of out of their shell a little bit. It does, does still feel like we're maybe half speed on the equity raising. We're hoping the next like quarter people are back in full force, but we'll see. If people keep watching the news, they, they'll always be depressed and never invest. So uh, <laughs> at some point, you got to like know that putting your money in the bank account and savings account making 4% is not going to keep up with inflation. So you've got to get it out and working. So that's what I've been preaching on my YouTube channel for the past couple of months. <laughs> so. My mentor, Wayne Dyer, would, used to say that there's no coincidence that the nightly news is sponsored by antidepressants. <laughs> That's very true. I agree. So what point did you move into development? What kind of stuff are you developing? So we're doing ground up multifamily. So we're doing bigger projects. We have multiple projects now in Texas and Ohio for ground up. And then we kind of fell into three years ago, buying office buildings in downtown locations and converting them to apartments. So now we have 11 of those conversions going on now, 2.2 million square feet of conversion. So we love those kind of deals. There's a huge need to convert office to multifamily. And we're, we're right there on the in the mix of it and got a lot of projects, you know, under development right now. So was there a pretty steep learning curve once you moved into development? Cause there's a lot of, you know, working with the city and so oh, it's completely surveys. different. Oh yeah, absolutely. So my first development deal, I went out and bought some townhome lots myself. I didn't take any investors because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And I knew that. So I didn't want to put anybody else's money at risk. So I bought the townhome lots. I knew I had to replatform from four to six lots. So I wanted a deal where I could work with the city. I didn't want to rezone. I talked to other developers and they said, don't fight city hall. And it was there what they coached me. So I've taken that to heart, but I did want something where I had to work with them on a replat or something with the city just to get that experience going in front of their council meeting or whatever. And then and really just learning development. So I found a GC that would uh, went in with me 50-50 on the investment side, uh, learned a lot from them. So it's a very steep learning curve. But once we finished that project, it was great. We doubled our money in maybe two and a half years, three years. It took a little longer than I'd like, but that was because of the learning curve for partly for my piece. And then like our second development deal, we raised, I think, $3.2 million in our, and built a 88 unit deal, multifamily deal. So once folks, because they, they investors knew me for multifamily investing, right? So when you go into a new space, it's going to be really hard to raise money unless you already have a track record with them and in that space. So I proved out that we could have a development. I actually even hosted a, a meetup at our development site to walk them through our townhome project. And that really kind of sealed the deal. I bet. I'm sure that would have helped quite a bit. Tell me about the different markets that you've invested in in these different sub-niches of commercial real estate. Yeah. So for multifamily develop, multifamily, we've been in, in up to six states. Right now, we're down to four, but the six were, I'm going to go from south to, to north, but we're in Texas, Oklahoma. Colorado, Ohio, 
Louisiana, and Georgia. There you go. I got all six. Right now, we're down to Texas, Ohio, Oklahoma, and Georgia. And then we're, we're developing in Texas and Ohio quite a bit. We're pretty busy there. Um, our triple net funds, we're in 17 states right now. So we're a lot less picky on those states because we're not having to worry about rent control or landlord-friendly states. We don't have to work. So we own assets in the state of New York for a triple net, but which I would do all day long, but I would never own a multifamily in New York state, right? Because you got to deal with rent control and it takes forever to evict somebody and all those landlord issues, right? All those ghost stories we hear in Texas about everywhere else, so about the coast. So we're a little less picky on which states we invest in on the triple net fund. Crazy. You've got your hands in so many different things. It's <laughs> we're busy around here. Okay, cool. Anything that you have learned over the years for the audience that's listening that's trying to scale their capital raising capacity, any suggestions that you would give them? You got to pick one offering type. So like our, mine was multifamily, existing multifamily, and do that for a few years, get good at that. And then try to, if you want to expand to different offerings, then it's going to be still challenging, but at least you have a core group of investors and followers to kind of expand if you want to go that route. I think it was smarter to diversify. We were here, we're based here in Dallas-Fort Worth. We were buying existing multifamily, but I think it's good to diversify even within multifamily by looking at different markets because not all markets are the same on the same wavelength. So like we got in, you know, Dallas-Fort Worth got really hot. I was like, I don't understand these prices. So so we started buying Ohio, Oklahoma, Colorado before it was cool, these other places. And really that's been very helpful because you get better deal flow, different types of returns again, but you do have to prove up those new markets to people. So you have to be careful of that too. So we had this screaming deal in Cleveland, Ohio. It was, we're used to raising four, five, eight million dollars very easily per deal. And then we buy this 126 unit deal in Cleveland, Ohio. We had to raise a million seven. It was like pulling teeth because I, from our investors, I, I didn't, they understand multifamily, but they, Cleveland's got such a bad rap that they need to work on their marketing. But that, if you go to a new market or a new offering, it's going to be tougher to, to raise money. Just know that going in, that you're not going to be as successful as you are as your bread and butter for years. So, Excellent. Okay, let's jump into the lightning round. My first question to you is, what's the best vacation you've ever taken? I'm a sucker for Belize. So we've been, we love to travel, but Belize is a very, has a very special place in my heart. So we love San Pedro down there. So we just took actually the whole company down there on our corporate retreat to Belize. So easy flight from Dallas. Anyways, it was a lot of fun. Oh, amazing. Favorite book of any kind? Besides mine, just kidding. We have two out. I love really any book that's, I'll give you the Rich Dad Poor Dad answer, but there's a lot better books than that. That were beyond that, that could take you to the next level. How much of your success do you attribute to mindset? That's a huge piece. I was one of those that did the Tony Robbins. Unleash uh, the power within. Unleash the power within. UPW, there you go. And doing that fire walk that first night was pretty life-changing for me. I think for most people it is. But that was, mindset's huge in this business. You have to have faith in yourself. You have to hustle, work hard. But mindset is a huge piece too, to getting your business growing and flourishing. So I walked on fire one time. It was only like three meters though. I've heard that at Tony Robbins, it's a lot longer. How far is that? How long is the walk? Is that? It sounds like a fishtail to me, man. I think it was still about, I don't know about meters, but it, it was about 12 feet, 13 feet. That would be my guess. So it's about right. It's about the same. That okay, like cool. fishtail to me. <laughs> Fantastic. How long do you want to live? We've got two kids, so a long time. I want to see them grow up and I'm excited to see what they choose to do in their life. I'd love to live for a very long time. So. Sweet. Short answer on this. Best way to raise capital from your perspective. 
have a good offering. And I know that's a dumb question or dumb answer, but really, if you have a solid investment, a solid business plan, a solid team around you, that's gonna make it a lot easier to raise funds. So as long as you can kind of build those three things together, that's the best recipe for success. Kenny, can you tell me about a moment that changed the trajectory of your life? I was at a very, like a crossroads. We had done three syndication deals and I, was, I, I had a part-time oil and gas job still to kind of phase it out. I was a sole breadwinner, wanted to continue to have health insurance and all those things and make really make sure that the bacon was coming in to provide for the family. But, but I was at a point where I had to decide whether to fully do it and, and do more syndications or just go the W2 route again. So I actually interviewed a medical city up here and just like in that interview, it was like, I just didn't have the heart to do it, to do another W2. I couldn't do it. Like I was, it was such a horrible interview. And it was a good thing though for me, because I just learned at that point, like, look, I just can't do it. I've got to be my own boss. I've always wanted to do that. So take the risk on myself and move forward that way. I love it. What do you love best about doing CrossFit? Keeps me young. I'm 41 years old. I can still keep up with the 20 year old. So it's good for me. You have to make sure you don't overdo it. There's a lot of injuries, but it's because you're trying to keep up with the meatheads in the gym. I tend not to do that. So as long as you can do the workout for yourself, it keeps you pretty young and it's pretty efficient. It's like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you're done for the day. I enjoy that. <laughs> Excellent. What would you need in order to 10X your business? Well, we're working on that now. So our goal is to get to a billion of assets under management by 2029. We're already at 675 million now. With these office conversions we have got going over, we'll hit a billion probably next year. So really it was, how do we take it to the next level? So really it's to get to that level, we're gonna need a lot bigger check writers. We've raised 200 million, but it's been at 150K at a time or 50K at a time the hard way. So right now we're, we're getting in front of um, a whole bunch of family offices. They're very excited about our office conversion deals for sure. So for us to grow any bigger and faster, we're gonna have to start getting the bigger five, 10, $20 million checks to keep it growing. Awesome. Do your spiritual philosophies have anything to do with your success in business? Yeah, it's a really kind of uh, business and you know, our investors are, we want to treat them like we want to be treated. So we invest alongside every single one of them, our employees, we make sure we take care of them. So it's a lot of service first, at least for me, that's a, that's a big deal. Have you ever experienced a miracle or had a near-death experience? I lived in Cairo, Egypt for three years in high school growing up. My dad was in the oil business. And so living in the Middle East, it's crazy over there in Cairo. So he got into a cab, me and a high school buddy. The guy turned around and says MacGyver, and then he just starts flooring it. He's zipping in and out. We're like inches away from other cars. We're both, we in the backseat think we're gonna die at seven, 16 years old. And he's just in and out. He swerves in to, to park near Arby's and just turns around and says Arby's. So anyway, that was a near-death experience that was pretty harrowing at the time. Now we can laugh about it, but man, it was nuts. Wow. Okay. Last question of the day brought to you by Shannon Amigo, one of our great listeners. She would like to know what impact would you like to leave in the world? We do a lot of donations through a couple organizations. We do our annual skeet shoot event here at Wolf Investments. It's a business, more business spenders, but for a wounded warrior. So last year we raised 28 grand on that skeet shoot. And then we personally, we also are involved with a few, a couple organizations here in town. My wife more so into a no-kill shelter for animals here in Dallas. And then we just started working with Samaritan Inn for a local group here that helps homeless get back on their feet. So those are, you, you can't do them all. So you kind of have to pick a handful to focus on. And so those are the three that kind of speak to 
we're doing the best we can to raise some more money for it. Very cool answers on the lightning round. Shout out to the Capital Razor Nation. Thanks for tuning in. Please leave us a five-star written review. Shout outs and our sponsors, pitchdex.com. Kenny, how does the audience get a hold of you, my friend? Sure. The best way to do that is wolf-investments.com. And we're also very busy on social media. So Facebook, Kenny Wolf, Instagram, Kenny Wolf, and then YouTube channel is also Kenny Wolf. We're very creative in that way. So that, those are the best places to, to catch me. We also host, and then we host actually our own MFIN conference three times a year. Next one's in, so I'm speaking at that event. Uh, we do a lot of events around the country, so I'd love to see you guys there in person. The MFIN is your organization? That's your company? That so we co-host that with Disrupt Equity out of Houston. So Ben and Ferris, we nice. team up with them to create that. So yeah, we do that three times a year. Nice. Okay. So I want to hear about this transition. As you're going to these bigger check writers and family offices, do you have a plan on what you need to do in order to get in front of them or to work with them? Yeah, you've got to have a lot of experience, right? You got to be vertically integrated. So we own the management company. I bought them about seven years ago. You need to have that in-house as much as vertical integration as you can to have control that I think that helps you. The management company is a must to get in front of them. And then also you have to be able to speak the part and know what kind of returns and, and their language. They speak a little bit different language than our kind of retail mom and pop investor. They want to hear IRRs and waterfalls and all that. A lot of our deals aren't set up like that with our kind of retail investor. So you have to be able to speak that part and you have to do bigger deals that, you know, a lot of times they won't look at a deal if it's less than 5 million of equity. So you're, you're looking at five, 10, $20 million equity raises to get into that space. If it's below that, they're probably not going to invest too small. Excellent. Any last words of wisdom for the aspiring fund manager or multifamily or commercial real estate syndicator as they scale on their journey? The book Traction, I didn't mention that, but that's an amazing book. If you can implement that in your business as soon as possible, I wish I would have done it earlier. It definitely changed our trajectory as well. So, so look at that, the EOS system. I found it really works for our company. I've heard a lot of other folks as well, but that's a great way to kind of get you to put on paper what your goals are and how to get there. Well, this has been fantastic, man. I really appreciate you coming on, breaking down so many different topics and the capital raising specifically. I appreciate you, brother. I look forward to following your progress. I also appreciate it, Ruben. Thanks for having me on. You bet, Kenny.